The ceremonial act of two people pledging their lives to one another is one of the most powerful traditions we have in our culture. It is no surprise then that Jewish and Christian practices have much in common and much that is distinct. In this episode, Rabbi Ari and Pastor Danielle share what is similar and what is unique about their respective traditions. Hoopas, cutting a deal, and true love waits. This week on A Rabbi and a Pastor Walked In. Today we're going to talk about weddings. That's uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, I have a daughter of one of my four, the first to be engaged. She's planning a wedding. And I just uh, did a wedding, um, which was the most complicated wedding I've ever done. <laughs> which is saying something, given your tenure and yeah, as no, a rabbi. Yeah, 40 years of weddings, 42 years of weddings, and this was the most complicated ever. And it happened to be the first wedding I did after I got out of the hospital. So, <laughs> <laughs> And probably said, like, only if you have 40 years of experience can you do this wedding. <laughs> I, well, you know, it's just kind of funny, because I've always said to people, if you want to add stuff to the wedding, um, within reason, I'm okay with it. You mm-hmm. do pretty much what you want. Uh, and so they did. So what would a traditional or most, uh, I guess, common structure be for a Jewish wedding? So the tradition is, uh, okay, the traditional ceremony, and the liberal denominations have tinkered with it a little bit, um, is to have at the beginning, it's a welcoming phrase of how God is great, Allah Akbar, pretty much. Uh, and then, uh, but in Hebrew. Uh, and then there is a blessing over wine um, of praising God for ordaining the ceremony. And then there is the exchange of thing of value. Hmm. It could be rings. It could mm-hmm. be anything. Hmm. Um, I only had one, two weddings where they didn't exchange rings. Hmm. And, the, and the first time, it was a golden calf. Oh my goodness! It was a little, a little statue. You're kidding! Like, I'm not kidding. I, when I saw it, I knew they were going to was do a it gift. on purpose. I don't know. I didn't ask them. I just didn't want to ruin their marriage day. But <laughs> <laughs> I just never know what you're opening the door to when you say what the tradition would allow. Right, right. And then the second time, uh, it was they were they wrote poems to each other, but they had to have them calligraphed because the poem hmm. it has to be something of physical value. Right. So as long as the, it was a, a calligraphy thing, a framed calligraphy thing, interesting. It was, it was something of physical value. That's the money, the bride price. There are three. There are three parts from the Bible. There's very little in the Bible about how to do a wedding because everybody did the same way they did it before they got right. monotheistic and right. they just didn't do it. But the first one is he took her. Mm-hmm. So just having sex together for the purpose of being married. Um, so that was the act of the marriage was right. the consummation of the marriage. And they went into a tent that was called a chuppah, which is today the canopy, which is a symbolic house under right. which a marriage takes place. Right. And my understanding is that in part, some of the symbolism of the chuppah, that sort of canopy or covering, is connected to when God comes down at Mount Sinai in the presence of God at Mount Sinai and has that canopy there. And in many ways, that uh, language of betrothal is coming from that Mount Sinai experience. That's Sermon 17.2. Right. Um, but, <laughs> but, but a connection still to a story, which is also makes the giving of the golden of the gold calf yeah. in that one part a little bit ironic. <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, the, the origin of the word chuppah is from Jeremiah. It says the sun comes up as, as brilliant as a, bri- a bridegroom coming out of his chuppah. Hmm. So then we know that it's a wedding tent or something. Got it. But um, and, and this wedding that I did this past weekend, um, 
I usually talk about how the chuppah is a symbol of a fragile shelter mm. and that it's got to be able to give and it only has at one side, which is up, and they hadn't covered the top. So <laughs> I didn't say, I, I stopped before I said that. Right. Usually you cover the top. That's what the whole concept of canopy right. is. Isn't it, I've often seen the chuppah also sort of um, become a make made from a makeshift tallit. Like they'll take a tallit, yes. a prayer shawl, right? And and hang that up, lift that up over the bride and the groom. Yeah, so uh, uh, my wife actually um, crocheted a canopy top, a chuppah mm. top, uh, but we never use it. We use a, we use a, a chuppah, uh, a tallit for our chuppah. And, but later on, she just got inspired. So Ilana, was asking, our daughter, was asking what to use for the top of her chuppah, and so Joy showed her um, what she's made. But in mm-hmm. any case, the 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 chuppah top wasn't the, actually the most interesting, the most creative chuppah I ever saw was in this uh, tent. Um, it was on the shore of Narragansett Bay in Rhode Island, where I, I did a wedding, and they had a hula hoop suspended from the center pole, of uh-huh. the, or the center of the top of the tent, and it had streamers hanging down at the four corners. Of, oh wow! Uh, uh, so they made a chuppah out of a hula hoop in a tent. Well, like I say, you know, it's, it, as long as you know what you're looking for, you'll, right. you'll find it. Right. Anyway, and then uh, the third part of the wedding uh, is the ketubah. So after the exchange of uh, gifts or rings, the ketubah is the writ. Hmm. That's what it means, literally, of marriage. And we learn that backwards from divorces. In Deuteronomy, it says if a man divorces his wife, mm-hmm. he has to give her a sefer kritooth, which means a a a book, a piece of paper that talks about cutting off. It is basically a divorce document. Right, document. some sort of certificate. And right. so the, the rabbis learn backwards from that. They say, if you go out with a document, you must have come in with a document. Mm-hmm. So that's Talmudic reasoning. And therefore, in the in the middle of a traditional ketubah, there's the divorce decree. Hmm. That is, if, if he were to divorce her, she would get ex. So it's sort of like the, the terms of this wedding covenant contract that they're coming together and here's how we come together and here's what it looks like if we need to separate that's right and um my understanding also is that queen salome who ruled for a very short period of time um in the hashmanian family rule just before the before really rome comes on in and takes over before the civil war so this is about what um 60 60 bce something 63 67 bce yeah. yeah um he, she actually required um, and really was a champion of the ketubah yep. because it protected women in this relationship. So right, if, the development of the ketubah was obviously not totally. He could have probably written anything. You're divorced to me, right? You know, right? But but it, it grew. But she makes this like, yes. hey, this is what we're to make sure. So she was um, instrumental in sort of championing the cause of the um, Pharisees in terms of how they were interpreting the text versus Sadducees. So that was part of the conflict at that time. And in that, she was like, girls get to be educated and um, and women get a ketubah when they get married. Like what so happens when pro- you put women in political power? Right. They, they find a way to protect the most vulnerable in the community, That's don't true. they? Yeah. So um, the uh, ketubah is where you find the biggest divergence of creativity in a mm. wedding because uh, since the traditional ketubah is not very lovey-dovey, it just says he's going to support her as Jewish husbands support their wives, and then it goes on to get the divorce decree. Um, so you find all kinds of, of getting rid of that middle right. and supplanting it with really wonderful um, 
nice talk, all kinds of different things. And then you have the issue of what about a gay couple, men only, mm. women mm -hmm. only, and so it doesn't say the bride and the groom. Then you have the situation where the traditional one says if she's a virgin, she gets a bride price of 200 zuzim. Uh, and if she's not a virgin, then it's only 100. And so, uh, and so I've changed that in the traditional ketubah, but instead of saying virgin, to saying bride. But uh, the other thing is that liberal Orthodox rabbis, sounds oxymoronic, but it's not, um, have developed a question to ascertain whether or not a woman is a virgin. And the question is, have you ever had sex for the purpose of marriage? <laughs> okay. And if not, you're still a virgin with that regard, and therefore they will still include her as a right. virgin. So if she's a divorcee, then that's why it's not a virgin. Hmm. And then it says that she's coming from her father's house. Oh, geez. And, of course, none of these questions go the other direction. Right. No, no, no. It's only about the one. And so <laughs> there are two. And, but if she's a, div uh, a divorcee or a widow or whatever, right. then it says she comes from her own house. Mm -hmm. So those of us in the, of the liberal bent will say she is a bride and she comes from her own house. But there's no, he's a groom and he comes from his own house? No, and so, but the thing is, if you get these traditional templates, yeah. well, what do you do? Right. And they just fill in the answers. So they're trying to find, because this ketuba.com, not that I'm giving a commercial or anything, <laughs> but there is a thing called that. And you can get artwork done in traditional calligraph ketubas online. And they can be quite beautiful. I mean, in oh, my yeah. experience, when I, um, I used to go to a lovely Judaica store in Palo Alto called Bob and Bob, and they would have a whole host of ketubot that you could sort of look through and right. see how stunning and beautiful and all the different varieties that you're speaking about. Um, and people will, you know, have these then framed in their home and yeah. often... We have ours framed over yeah. our bed. Yeah. And it's, it's the redo. Mm -hmm. Because we left the ketubah on this piano oh no uh, in in the house we were renting while we and, and we had the wedding in the backyard it was huge and um we got as everybody went away we wanted to look at the couture and there's a coffee stain in the middle of it oh no big coffee stain oh dear so we had to regather everybody to sign the ketubah again. But anyway, um, <laughs> we had to have it made first and then gathered. Them right. Um, and at the end of the reading of the ketubah, then there are seven more blessings over a hmm. cup of wine. Okay. And uh, and then there is a uh, custom to break a glass. Uh, and there's a lot of descriptions, and we can talk about that. But that's that's what I do. And then there are people and and who do all kinds of other things. And it's... Some liberals change seven blessings to four. They pick their top three. Well, you know, whatever they sure. want to do. And the wedding that I just did, instead of these blessings, which are praising God for the establishment of human relationships that mm. continue, you know, and, um, and wishing the bride and groom the joy of the first man and woman in the Garden of Eden and hoping that every Jewish wedding is a symbol of the rebirth of Jerusalem, they these seven blessings happen in English, and they all bless the bride and the groom instead of the other way around. So mm -hmm. it was a very interesting, uh, a very interesting wedding. Oh, and they went like off it. with smoke bombs. <laughs> that was kind of, I'm telling strange. you, they're still connecting to that Sinai experience. Yeah, smoke, the smoke bombs. <laughs> canopy, the hoopah. No wonder I didn't really think about <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, you had to go up and down the stairs a few times I like did. Moses up to Sinai. Oh so, my yeah. goodness, it was crazy. So what do you do? Because you're a non-liturgical tradition, so you can pick and choose or make it up yourself. Well, traditionally, I, I think, you know, what people hear in their heads when they think of a wedding is probably similar to what you've, you know, seen on television and all of those, like, 
do you give this for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, and sickness and health? <laughs> um, you know, for as long as you both shall live. So uh, that la- that marriage covenant language um, that comes from the Book of Common Prayer, which uh-huh. is 1600s. Little, yeah, I think about that from, and so you can search for the Book of Common Prayer online. You can find it really quickly. People carry copies of it, but traditionally, um, in all of our different church denominations, um, at least Protestant ones, um, it's derived from that framework, from the Book of Common Prayer framework, uh, and and it is for us too. So there there would be a couple of distinctions that um, I employ specifically. So uh, we don't have a giving away of the bride um, because. I don't think women are property, and so we try. We to... We don't have that either. Yeah, so we so we try to avoid well, some of that right. language. Liberals don't. Right, so I won't say right. It's still it's still very common in lots of uh, Christian traditions. Just for me, um, and for when Kevin and I personally uh, officiate, well, instead of saying who gives this woman to be married to this man, which is typical the typical language. Oh really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, then, I've never heard that at any Jewish wedding that I've ever been to. Right. Well, it's Christian, right? So, yeah. um, and then typical, because that's why the father's walking her down the aisle, right? So the father walks her down the aisle and then has this lovely handoff to, the, to the son. And so then a lot of people will have both father and mother walk down or in cases where a father hasn't been present, um, they'll have the mother walk down the aisle instead or... Um, we ha- I had to say... We had a situation, yeah. both of the people getting married last weekend were the children of divorced parents. Mm-hmm. And one had to be married and the other one hadn't. And they didn't want to do which is what is very traditional, which is have the parents stand out of the chuppah, right. not under, but on the side. Right. To, you know, they didn't want to do that because they want to choose between the one who did this and the one who did that. And, sure. And because this one hates that one. Right. So they said, I'm all sitting in the front row and they yep. split the buns off. So they wouldn't argue with each other during the ceremony. Right. I mean, you have to, if family gets complicated, which most family does, right, there's these um, complications into the ceremony. So for what we do is we will say who blesses this union between this woman and this man. And then we invite both the parents of the groom and the parents of the bride or grandparents, whoever is standing there that's sort of standing as those primary persons that have helped to support the individuals that are coming together to say we do. And so then they, so we'll, we'll ask. That's all they say is we do. Mm -hmm. They don't, they don't offer a blessing up at that point. No, no. I mean, if we ever had a parent who, or a grandparent or or somebody wanted to say more, we would certainly allow space for that. But we'll just kind of, we prompt them who blesses this union between this woman and this man. They say, we do great. And then whoever's walked the bride down the aisle and sort of does that, um, handoff, so to speak, you know, where, you know, oftentimes there's a hug or a handshake or something like that with the groom. And then, and then the two, the couple stand before So you myself. don't have a chuppah, so no. it's just a bare place. Right, well, it depends upon you may have a table where the bride, or a microphone or something like right, that. Right, where but. the bride and groom want to get married. Some people want a very traditional church wedding, and so they'll pick something that has more almost like a steeple look up front, and, and then an typically there's an there. altar behind or a stained glass behind or or a picturesque window or a cross or something. When we do outside weddings, brides and grooms often pick an arch or extra flowers. Right, there are a lot of gazebo weddings. Right. It looks like a chuppah. I mean, it's just a gazebo. It does look like a chuppah. And I think that just the the beauty of that is attractive to a lot of people. Oftentimes, Kevin and I have found um, that a lot of times brides and grooms want the two of us to officiate. 
So our so Kevin and I together will stand there and officiate for the bride and groom, and he reads the guy parts to the guy, and I read the girl <laughs> parts to the girl, and that's been really fun. And then we kind of can banter and joke back and forth of you know well we've only been married 19 years, so you know I'm, we haven't had any trouble yet. I'm sure you won't either. You know we could do all those little jokes about I'm sure there will never come a day. Or we'll say there might be a day where that person irritates, not you, honey. Right. So we can do like a little bit of those jokes I do the in between. Exact opposite. Oh, do you? So um, after I explain all the things mm-hmm. in the ceremony, which mm-hmm. is right after the beginning of the welcoming phrases, I I I put the mic away mm-hmm. and I whisper to them, I say that you're gonna hit hills and valleys and snags and obstacles. Right. And I want you to have a guiding light. Mm-hmm. of something that can get you past those obstacles. Turn around, look at all the people here and their love for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Spend nice. as much time looking as you want and let that be your moment that mm-hmm. gets you through those hard times. Nice. So we do something a little bit similar. Um, we talk about how it's a covenant. Mm-hmm. And that in the Bible, um, typically covenants are made between greater and lesser parties. So then I'll ask them, who here today is the greater party and who is the lesser party? There's always a giggle and some laughter as to is the bride or the groom going to suggest that they're the greater. And then we explain that, of course, God is the greater party and the two of them together are the lesser party. And that together they are promising God that they will love this person standing in front of them. Um, God's child for, you know, for that picturesque, you know, imagery. This this person belongs to God. They're made in the image of God. And um, so when things are difficult and when you have those days where you don't, it doesn't feel like you want to love this person anymore, you will remember that you promised God that you will love this person. So even if you don't want to keep that promise to this person, you will seek um, effort to keep that promise. You'll seek to try to keep that promise that you made to God to love God's kid for God's sake, right? For your relationship with God. And this, this is, um, re- this is le- sort of relationship language is very common to Christianity. And no, then I can't, you, you can talk that way with your congregants. Right. I can't do that with mine. Right. It's a bit different. They won't, they won't see a promise to God in that kind of a way. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, not, there's not one person, but it, right. Yeah. So then in that covenant, explanation, we will talk then about how everybody who is there that day, and this is what I tell brides and grooms even prior as they're planning their wedding, everyone who's there was witnessing your covenant. So they're a person, not just a friend at work, not just somebody, you don't have to feel an obligation to invite everybody that you know, or that they're going to feel bad that they're not at the party. These are people that, that when you run into trouble, you're going to phone them and they're going to remind you that they were there the day that you made this covenant and they're going to do everything that they can to help you keep this vow that you're making that day. Now that's not to suggest that, you know, God forbid there's something terrible and there's, you know, abuse or something horrible that people should just keep shoving, (laughs) shoving one another back together again. But simply to say that um, on the days when he irritates her or she irritates him and then they call their friend to complain or their mother or whatever family member, like, can you believe what he did this week, mom, or whatever, that the person on the other phone, and we explain this in the ceremony, should not give that a hearing. That there's, it's okay to hear you complain and be frustrated but the intent is to continue to not say oh you're right he's terrible i can't believe he did that but instead try to continue to support the covenant that we're all witnesses to today yeah the worst thing you can do is jump in the middle of of right slow moving catastrophe (laughs) no because uh you're taking sides and you could be 
one of the things about people who argue in a marriage is they sometimes reconcile. Yes. And then you found yourself be, having be, aligned yourself with the maligners of the person. Right. And then the person that you thought you were supporting all of a sudden doesn't like you anymore. Right. And, and most frequently in almost pretty much every human situation, there are three sides, right? Yours, the other person's, and the right one. <laughs> like there's, a, there's always a bit of truth um, in between. For, for almost every situation, not all, but for almost every, right? So when we're just talking about things that, that can build up in a marriage, like who put the dishes away or who didn't do these different types of things, these all these little bit of slights in between, there's a lot in between that. And there's always a third way. And there's no universal tape recorder. No. And if it were, there's no universal video recorder. Right. And And so that even if you say something and to you the words are innocuous... Yes. You may say them with body language or vocal tone or right. <sighs> All right. that kind of exasperated right. sigh that sends the opposite message. The opposite of message, right. Of course I love you. <laughs> it's very different than of course I love you, right? There's, a, there's a, a lot of tone in that. So we, so in the middle of the ceremony, we sort of invite everyone there. We have a prayer time. Um, and then we talk about the nature of covenant, um, invite people to to bless it. And we actually not just have the parents bless it, but we say, um, so all of you here today witnessing this covenant, do you promise to continue to love and support and care for this couple and this thing? If you do, will you please say, I do. And then we'll oh, have them participate nice. in it as well. We've also started including where oftentimes at the first part of the um, parent or immediate family blessing the couple, um, oftentimes brides and grooms want to bless their parents or the, the people that have cared for them. So we've started... Um, when they want to, we started stashing uh, a bouquet or two or some single flowers up towards the front for the bride and groom to grab and to hand to the women in their life or whoever it is that has been. And then they get to turn. It's always, it's enough of unexpected in the ceremony still that it always catches the parents by surprise a little bit. Um, they're deeply touched that they're being remembered um, as the people that brought their children to this moment. And um, and it's always a teary point for everybody in the ceremony. And sometimes the bride and groom will want us to say something to the parents, but they know that they can't get those words out themselves because it's too emotional. So we'll read it for them. So that's been a nice addition into our ceremony. Um, and then um, we'll do You know, I, I do that for yeah. people who want who can't give a eulogy. Right. But right. could write it. Right. But they can't give it. Mm -hmm. So I say, just give it to me and I'll give it. That's right. Because there's nothing I could write that would Absolutely. be better than somebody who really, really knew the person. Right. Absolutely. So it's a, it's a bit like that. It's just a moment of honoring the two communities that brought these in, that helped to create these individuals and brought them to this moment. Again, you get the situation where you have divorced and fractious families. Yep. And that might not work in those families because you'd be taking sides and choosing and stuff like that. Although, you know, this... Have you ever had that work out? Well? Sure, yeah. I mean, I, I we just officiated a wedding a couple months ago where there was divorce and remarriage on both sides. And, um, you know, they just gave a flower to everybody and to grandparents, too, that were there. So it was... So we had one situation where they were just divorced and we had another one where the guy disappeared mm. and simply did, was lost from the family for a long time. Right. And still, you know, lives in the same town, but they found him. But and so the question was, they the relationship there was really tenuous. Right. And they invited him anyway. Right. But and he was there. Yeah. And so in those cases, I just did another wedding where that um, 
you know, the, the parents weren't going to be there of one, the parents were there of another, um, but the child of one was there, which is another thing. If a, if a child's in the mix and starting oh, to yeah. find a step parent now, um, we'll often invite, depending particularly upon the age of the child, but we'll invite a moment where um, the, the family member marrying in, who's now going to be coming into this parent role, um, if things are amiable enough, there's, it's been really beautiful when, um, we, there was a, a bride coming into a family. She didn't have children of her own, but he did. And she was able to turn to the kids and say in the middle of the ceremony, I love you. I care about you. I promise to love and care for your father. And I'm, I promise to love and care for your mother too. Right. Like that she's not trying to take any place. And so she was able just to, it was a nice turn of phrase of how she shared that and, and cared about. So I think it depends all on the relationship and how people are able to speak to it. But those moments can be precious when there's um, some health. It's not always ugly. When people think about marriage and imagine when anybody's turned this podcast on, they hear about weddings we're talking about and, and they think of, you know, one person marrying one person right, and right. two families and but it gets really I would say that the times when I do a wedding where there's not divorce and some kind of family mm -hmm. craziness is about a little less than half. Mm -hmm. mm. I mean half of all weddings end in divorce now. Yeah, it's sad. And um I remember so I was married once before this current marriage which is thirty three years old. <laughs> and uh and after I got divorced I had to do a wedding. Mm. And I was telling myself, I was like, what are you doing a wedding? What right. do you know about weddings? You're a total failure. Right. And um mm. and it took a while, I don't remember exactly how long, but right. it, it's kinda like anything else, you get used to it. Right. But um it, it was, you it, don't go into it with the intention of, of it not working. No, and it seemed right. so right, and everything was yeah. going so terrifically, and then all of a sudden it wasn't. And then mm -hmm. all of a sudden you say, what, you know, psh, what happened? But right. the, the, the biggest thing is when you, when you really mess up as a rabbi, mm -hmm. doing weddings makes it look really stupid. And then <laughs> you have to think... Why would they even want me, right. symbol of divorceness, right. to, to right. come and do their way? And people get past all this stuff, and then it works out okay. I mean, some imagine there's some people who don't, but they wouldn't ask me. Right, but they probably wouldn't ask you for a thousand other reasons as well. That's right? also true. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so the other thing that I think has been um, helpful for us as we do and officiate weddings, I've started to, I've realized long ago um, in my 20 years of pastoring, nobody cares what I think. They're not there to hear. <laughs> None of those people that are showing up are there because they heard I was officiating a wedding, right? right? They're there because they care about these people. Right. But a lot of them only know one of the two persons very yeah. well. And so they're there because they want to see this event. They care about this individual, but they really also want to know the other person. And not everyone has heard the story of how they met or what they love about the other person or what brought them to this moment. So um, our homily is really spent with a lot of the time of just a few highlights of their story. It's very short, but, you know, I remember what you told us that when you met, the first thing that you noticed about her, the first thing you noticed about him was this. And then as you got to know one another, you decided, you know, wow, I really love 
this and this and this. So we'll ask and ask the bride and groom, what are the top three things you just love about this other person? What are the things that just you can't stop getting enough of? And when did you first notice them? When did you first think, I think I could spend the rest of my life with this person? When was the first time you thought, oh, this is this is it. This is love. Um, what has brought you to this moment? And then we'll ask the bride and groom collectively, if 10 years from now, 20 years from now, somebody says, tell me about your marriage and they ask another stranger or your children that you'll bring into this world or whatever it is, what do you want them to say? How do you want them to describe your marriage? And just a phrase or a few words. And it can be for some Christians, they they pick a Bible verse. So it might be, um, you know, where it's going to be love God and love your neighbor. That's what I want people to know. Or they want them to know um, that it's this, uh, whatever the other, like the passage from Ecclesiastes is very popular among Christians, right? A cord of three strands is not easily broken. So it's us and God, and we're going to be wed together in this. So we'll share that information. And then we talk a bit about the garden and we'll talk about how um, part of the, the consequences of things going south is that um, her desire her chuka is for him, and and yet he will rule over her. But that isn't how God intended it. That's after the snake and the the sneaky snake and the fruit. But then we get the Song of Songs, which is very Edenic in its imagery and very garden language, where this male and female just love one another for the sake of romantic love, not for the sale of property, not for a bride price, not for procreation. They just love each other. And she speaks first and last and most often and is very strong in the scenario. And in there it says, she says, I am my beloved's and he is mine and his chuka, his desire is for me. So we've seen the sort of like reversal of these consequences or reversing the curse and we kind of go yeah this is what we're aiming for so we'll talk about that garden language and then we get into all right do you and do you and and um and i would say overall we try to never make anything longer than about 20 minutes because it's 25 that's a long time for people to stand i stand yeah i know they oh. stand up front oh, the like not the not the people that are listening but the, the bride and groom are standing right and if they have I a bridal for party like five minutes yeah so typically it's about 20. There's I've been to some Christian weddings where they'll do four or five worship songs. They have it's like That's a church why I advise service. Them not to do is don't do music in the middle of the service because <laughs> right. it gets very boring and excruciatingly long. <laughs> right. 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 Especially if they try to do all of the verses. Yeah, I'm <laughs> Bob like, Dylan's song. Right, you're like, oh my goodness, we're all still staying no, I, there. And I mean, I, I don't forbid it. I just advise it's them. An, it's an advising. Yep, yes. I think that's good. Sometimes we'll have people who want to do communion in the midst of it, and that's their first act as a marriage couple. So that's, I mean, marriage is a sacrament in the church, and communion is a sacrament as well. So they might do that or give one another communion. Um, there's others that have wanted to do foot washing ceremony, and we typically advise against that because it also gets long and awkward but for christians it's a symbol of servanthood one into another and it's very beautiful uh, we'll advise them to do it before or after right with one another in right um, in more of an intimate setting and then um and sometimes they'll have scripture read or a poem or they will have somebody sing a special song but all of that's we advise them to keep it keep this it short. couple wanted to have their rings handled by everybody so everybody could in, you know intend in karma of blessing into the uh, ring so we had to put the ring part of the ceremony at the very, very end Wow! to give enough time for the rings to pass around through all the people. That's, that's fascinating. That was fascinating. But I, I forgot to, to say what the, what we say when we say the rings and what you just uh, said, I am my beloved and right. he's mine. So Anila Dodi, Vidodi Lee, 
So we add that to the end of what they say. Beautiful. And then for the first time I translate, instead of saying, having her say it, I am my beloved and he is mine, uh, I just said it, uh, had them say right. it, and then have translated as, I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine, my beloved is mine, so that it doesn't right. become gendered. Right. But the, what the man and woman say to each other is, behold, you are consecrated to me by means of this, whatever, usually mm -hmm. ring. According to the law of Moses, mm. which is the Torah, mm -hmm. which means the rest of the Bible, etc., mm -hmm. in the Talmud, the Israel and Israel, the people. Mm. And so the reason is because there's not much in the Torah or the Bible about right. how to do a wedding. Right. And most of what we do, we do because Jews do it. <laughs> right. right? Right. Tradition. Right. And so when it comes yeah. to uh, the procession, in you know, and we're talking about the is the bride accompanied by parents, and I tell them, all you know about weddings comes from Disney. Right. And the Disney version is the marriage of or two... Or sitcoms. Right. Two houses of state in, in medieval Europe <laughs> right. where the liveried right. attendants come in, you know, in right. a, long, a long line. So I've had weddings where they just clomb onto the chuppah. Everybody just comes up. Mm. And I've had the formal ones where... Lots and lots of co-liveried people come, right. men first and women second, or men and women together, right. and then the bride and groom, or then the parents come together, and then the bride and groom come yes. together, or the bride comes with her, or the groom comes with his, his parents, and the bride comes with mm -hmm. her parents. It, it can uh, be quite a production. Well, I just tell them that whatever you want to do, because I, do I don't go to the rehearsal dinner. Right, right. Uh, I tell them, I will teach you how to re run your own rehearsal. And if you want to do it some way, and somebody in the family says it's, that's not the right way to do it you you have perfect permission to take my name in vain and say the <laughs> rabbi insists that it be this <laughs> that's way right. that's right because there are Very so good. many crazy traditions right, that people right. think you have to do right right yeah and ultimately you know this is this is a covenant making ceremony yeah. right people are covenant that's why we don't another. do it on holy days right because it's a, actually a business transaction because you're transferring something sure. of value Sure, that makes sense. Yeah. And if it's actually, I mean, this is where we get the phrase cut a deal, right? It's because there was right. actual cutting of, you know, a sacrifice when you were doing, not a sacrifice, but like cutting of something. It's right. Abraham and Abraham's God and all of this. Right. Cut a deal. They're, right. So you, you don't want to we just, do we that We don't know of Abraham as if it was a big deal or a little deal. But <laughs> exactly. It was sufficient. Exactly. Yeah. And in, and in, the, um, in the Christian text, in the New Testament, there's a lot of bride language and Jesus uses a lot of this language but it's also true in in Tanakh and the right. Old Testament there's a lot of language about how Israel is betrothed to God and how this relationship is one of intimacy and you know God talks about all of this quite a bit so for I think for both of us there's a, a deep seriousness to the event and to this covenant even as we um, realize that a lot of the ceremony as it stands today is taking shapes of influence because of either family dynamics or preferences among brides and grooms or how they're, you know, deconstructing and constructing again their faith or all of those different things as they try to experience that. I liked this about my tradition. I didn't like that. We have a lot of that push and pull, I think, in both of our communities. But ultimately, it's beautiful and it's serious and it's a lot of hard work. And if we can help people realize that this this one day, um, and I tell brides and grooms this all the time, um, you need to get your heads out of the clouds about this. Work on your marriage. Don't work on the, the ceremony. I tell people that the wedding ceremony will be the first test of their marriage. <laughs> right. It's all 
also very true. Yeah, who gets to come, right? Who gets to come? What right. color are the tablecloths? Right. I, I, I tell the brides that, by and large, men don't think as much about the color scheme and the flowers right. and right. the details like that. They more likely have things that they don't want to do than things they want sure. to replicate. But, yeah. but as I said, if it's not always that way, and mm -hmm. I've had enough guys be mm -hmm. different to make me aware of it. But I say, look, doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that he is <laughs> right. not interested right. in the marriage. He will participate in the conversations. He just may not right. have a preference. Right. And you should need to live with that. Right, right. Yeah, sure. As long as he supports you in your choosing <laughs> right. of what you want to do. Right. He doesn't come up in the, and then go, what color did you choose? Oh, this is horrible. I right. mean, that would be bad. Right, but, right. But no. They, yeah. And I think, too, you know, you have, um, when, you're, when you're planning a wedding, you have a caterer oftentimes. So you're... you're picking food you've got a cake that you've oh, gone yeah. and tasted you you have a florist you have lighting you have a script you have a director a clergy person who's sort of making it all go or a wedding coordinator you have um setting you've got mood lighting you've got a music soundtrack that you've picked out from the beginning to the end and you have hair and makeup you've got costuming and in the end you even have this beautiful set you're probably going to go to for a honeymoon afterwards where everything's sort of tropical or perfect and the way it's supposed to be and real life will enter into any one of those moments and mess up your your hollywood set including particularly really show up on the honeymoon when you feel like that should be just as orchestrated and beautiful as everything else but in fact you're tired you're exhausted and all of the slights that you felt over either the planning or the stress of the moment or anything else now sort of come to light once you've gotten some rest and, and people often fight. So so trying to figure out how to demystify all of that for people and get down to what is it you really care about this other person? You know, what is it you love about them? And where do you want to go? How are you going to brand wedding your wedding? The wedding is like a marriage? swimming race. Right. Hmm. The wedding itself is jumping off the blocks. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then the rest of it you have to work to paddle. Right. <laughs> And do the stroke and, and the kicking. Um, it just requires a lot of forgiveness, a yeah. lot of humility, um, a lot of understanding and aiming for an end goal rather than getting distracted with these little and big things in between. And it takes a village. It takes a community of people. It's hard work. You know, when, when people come to me, 99% of the time, they are already living together mm. now. And, um, and I tell them, uh, what do you want a wedding for? You can just say you're married and forget about the florist and the caterer. Right, right. Because according to Judaism, if you mm. have sex for the purpose mm. of marriage, give a, a writ of marriage or give a gift of marriage, either any one of those three will work. Wow. So you don't need this big... And they always want the wedding. But, sure. But I, I tell them that anyway. Right. The reason, by the way, we do all these three things together, the chuppah is a symbol of the, of the consummation of the marriage and then the, the bring and the ketubah, that we do them together is because the, the Jews at the 2,000 years ago were beginning to say, well, I had a ketubah marriage and you only had a shtupi marriage. You, you know, <laughs> lived together. And, and, and so huh. they, since they were putting each other down, the rabbis put right. it all together so they wouldn't put each other down anymore. And so, you know, that's how, that's how laws get made. That's how insurance policies work. You know, things keep getting wrong. And then right. they, add more to the ceremony. Yeah, in um, in Christianity, particularly in American uh, Christianity, there's 
you're not supposed to live together before you get married, right? You're not supposed to be having sex before you get married. Supposed to, shoulds. I'm not saying people do or do not. I'm I'm not in their in their space. Um, so most frequently. Well, you don't believe in wine tasting. Right. <laughs> so most frequently, I am um, almost always marrying people who will start living together. So whether they've wow. been right. So um, not always, but almost always. That's um, that's pretty much most typically the case. So it's, you know, right the week before, maybe they're starting to move stuff into one of those homes and, or the week afterwards after they come back from the honeymoon is when they're going to start to do that and stuff. So there's a lot going on for couples in the midst of all of those things. Um, yeah. They I typically know. are not living together until one they One of the things married. I advise them is, is not to make love for a week or so hmm. before the wedding. Hmm. Just so there's something to re-experience as being new. Right. Um, and, uh, but that's about huh. as, much, yeah. as much a thing. That's not something typically Christian pastors do. Now, maybe we should because the, the truth is probably that they're not confessing it to their pastor or their clergy or to their friends, but they may be sexually active, you know, having sex with one another prior to the marriage. Um, it's not something I tend to ask people. I don't want to know. So like, let's just like, this is your business and you well, make and whatever decisions you want. Suit, yeah. A thing called Tanaim, which means conditions. There was a, they would drop conditions between the families that were doing the weddings. Mm. But what I do is a prenuptial counseling thing where I have all these questions that I want them to go through mm. and then they have to write their own answer and then they have to meld it into one written document. Ah, uh-huh. interesting. And then bring it to me and then we discuss it. And huh. then I do my prenuptial counseling with a couple pop-in sermons, but I tell them about that. Right. And, and so at the beginning is how they met each other, what they love about each other. So that's the mm-hmm. stuff for them. But there is also a situation on sex and uh, on monogamy, fidelity, hmm. uh, on hmm. honesty, and on uh, innovation, yeah. and how to talk to each other during uh, about, about sex. Nice. And so um, they all sound like they, well, I know they're all living together, but they all sound <laughs> like they've, they're they speaking from experience on that. Right, 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 yeah. Yeah, it just depends, but I think traditionally in the Christian, American Christian setting, I, I don't know if you're aware, there was like a, a movement in the last um, probably 20 years. It was called True Love Waits. And there were others. It was really stressed abstinence for Christian teens and for people prior. So people have like, um, uh, let's see, like uh, rings that they wear that show that they're sort of being faithful to the spouse they haven't yet met and all those different types of things. That's not part of our regular practice um, in terms of what we're um, we don't do a true love waits day right now, but most of our, our kids are like three and four years old. So I think it's a little bit young to be having those conversations, but, um, but that's part of Christian culture. And so for, for us, it's part of traditional Jewish culture as right, well. Right. So we just don't have that same, I think you and I talked about this very briefly last time, but, um, in American Christianity, we might be right now sort of at the edge of going through a sort of a reformation. And the last one that we can all really point to and talk to, it was in Europe between Catholics and Protestants. And then within that, there's still all these, you know, different sects of Protestantism, practices of it and how it all kind of works out. But but right now, American Christianity is, is wrestling a lot of these things through again. So um, so maybe there will be uh, a more uh, typical practice in another 20 years. But right now, this is still our practice as we're coming out of and still in a lot of like campus crusade for Christ kind of things and um, intervarsity and all of these other college youth and college events that that really um, create a culture of abstinence coming into the marriage. 
Well, you know, I want to talk about this topic because I know that your ceremonies from a non-liturgical Christian tradition and mine from a liturgical Jewish one were going to be different. But I really had no idea that the biggest single difference <laughs> would be in how many people do and don't live together right. before the ceremony. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's. Quite I think if people did live together, they wouldn't tell anyone. It would be a secret. They would try to keep it a secret. We invite each other over, so it doesn't, right, right. We don't keep any they secrets. do that too, but I, but I think you know it's very like well, I even I just recently officiated a wedding where um, the groom lived with the bride's mother um, prior to the wedding itself for months. Not in the way that it could be interpreted. No, no, mother and her husband, right? They they right. let him have a room for this for the sanctity of the marriage. So he was living in the house that she lived in with her parents. Right, but she was living in another home, in the home that they would. I mean, like so. Even though it made it very difficult and oh, it I see. elongated everyone's commute by a significant amount, the uh, desire to have a some sanctity for the marriage um, was strong enough that they would make all of those sacrifices. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Well, this has been an interesting thing. Yeah. Well, good luck in the planning of your daughter. Your of four daughters, the first one to be the first planning one to be a engaged. wedding. Yeah. Whew. Whew. Happens, happens so quickly, and then all of a sudden it changes the entire conversation in the house. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, blessings in that. Thank you. Mm-hmm.